This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. This is the 1A Record Club. The 1A Record Club. This is 1A. 1A. 1A Record Club. Hey! Let's go! Welcome to the 1A Record Club. Dolly Parton's resume is as big as her hair. And now at the age of 77, she's adding another title to her resume, rock star. On the stage, you all know my name. With many country accolades, countries in my veins. But since I heard the big news, I ain't never been the same. Cause they done gone and put me in the For this edition of the 1A Record Club, we're talking about Dolly Parton's new album, Rockstar, and what this latest musical evolution represents. So grab yourself a cup of ambition because we've got a lot to get into. I'm Janine Herbst, in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back in just a moment. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. Rockstar has a total of 30 tracks, give or take a few, depending on the version of the album that you buy. 1A producer Barb Anguiano spoke with Associated Press music journalist Maria Sherman about Rockstar and her recent chat with Dolly Parton. Here's that conversation. First things first, what did you think of the album as a whole? I was incredibly charmed by it. I think Dolly has such an incredibly rich and distinctive vocal tone, as as I imagine most people would agree. And hearing her perform in this way with these sort of big, anthemic, stadium-sized rock songs was really exciting. Um, I'm, I'm charmed that it's sort of a collection of some of the biggest and most familiar rock and roll songs. And I imagine a lot that are just personal favorites and perhaps a few that um, she sings all the time and feels very comfortable performing and, and sort of makes her own. Um, there are a lot of surprises here. I mean, 30 tracks is is quite the volume. Um, and when I interviewed her, she said, you know, this is going to be the first and only rock and roll album I do, so might as well go big. And, and I thought I thought she took some big swings here. What were some of those big swings? 
Oh, gosh. In the instances where she's not recording with the original musician from the original track, I thought that there's um, kind of a lot of interesting decision making that happened. Um, I mean, Lizzo plays flute on Stairway to Heaven, which is not something I ever thought I would hear <laughs> happen. Uh, I sort of it, I, I, I think um, doing I can't get no satisfaction with Pink and Brandy Carlisle having it be these three powerful women kind of gives it this feminist reimagining, whether that was intentional or not. I didn't know that um, I, Dolly Parton doesn't mean Linda Perry. I, I thought What's Up is maybe one of the better um, songs on this album, and, and I really enjoyed it thoroughly as a whole. I guess, was there anything that stood out uh, for you as far as like the new material? Like, this needs to go in the Dolly repertoire of, of great songs in the greatest hits catalog? I, I feel that way about My Blue Tears. And I, I do wonder if that's a bit of a cop-out because it's maybe the most country moment on this rock and roll album. <laughs> and, and perhaps that's some of the appeal. Um, but but I, I just think it's this like gorgeous, uh, mournful song. Go light your blue sky I'll shed my blue tears But maybe the emotional strength and, and center of this album is, and I, I think rock music, maybe more so than some other genres, is this incredible tool for expressing and communicating frustration. And, and um, that is obviously something Dolly is no stranger to in, in her repertoire, but I think it really kind of comes across on this collection in, a, in an interesting way. Um, and I think most of that conversation will probably center on the uh, lead single, World on Fire, the moment everybody sort of assumed Dolly Parton was becoming political for the first time in her career. Did, did she hint at anything political in, in it? Uh, she does chastise uh, politicians, but doesn't say which politicians. And I, I think it's worth noting that Dolly Parton has been fiercely apolitical her entire career. She um, sort of famously turned down presidential medals from both um, President Biden and President Trump uh, to not appear partisan. Now I ain't one for speaking out much But that don't mean I don't stay in touch Everybody's tripping over this or that What we gonna do when we all fall flat? Liar, liar, the world's on fire What we gonna do when it all burns down? So do, do we know how she chose who she collaborated with? Um, I know your article noted, for example, you know, she really wanted to work with Mick Jagger and that just didn't happen, but... She got some other pretty big names. So was it really like a years and years of planning or was it just kind of like a mass text message or something? The way that she explained it to me is that she found the songs that she wanted to sing and then would ask the performer who wrote or recorded the song if they wanted to do it with her. In some instances, there was a little bit more collaboration. She did try to get Mick Jagger for, for this album and said, hey, can I do I Can't Get No Satisfaction? And apparently Mick said, um, I'd rather do another song. I've recorded this one a million times. Um, but then because of just, you know, timing and, and getting in the studio and all of that, it didn't end up happening. But I, I really love the sort of reimagining with Pink and Brandy Carlisle. Um, but mostly across the board, these are the songs that she loves. And she asked if people would sing them with her. And uh, and it kind of went from there. In the instances where the collaborator is not um, the original performer, she was just kind of thinking of like who would sound good on this kind of track, um, which is interesting in the case of Night Moves, which features Chris Stapleton, who is 
you know, one of the great sort of country music success stories of the last couple of years. And, you know, Dolly, one of the best known, most iconic country musicians of all time performing this rock song. Um, and, and it works because they both can sort of access whatever the secret spice of, of a great rock track is. I, I tend to think it's a sort of feeling of of a raw sort of emotional energy. Um, so in those cases, it was primarily, you know, who who would sound great on it. Um, and then, you know, there are so many surprises within that. Um I don't necessarily know if most people would classify Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball as a sort of capital R rock and roll track. Obviously, Miley has like a certain rock and roll ethos to her. There's something a little bit rebellious and, and creative and, and fully formed within her performance, um, but it tends to work. So it's it's just it's, it's very interesting how how the kind of the sequencing and the, and the track listing came together as well um there are again 30 songs on this so i think there was probably a lot of like okay we need to you know put the microphone down or else this this <laughs> album is going to go on forever um but the decision making within that was all very intentional and pointed are there any other songs that come to mind for you that um could fit into this rock and roll genre and could we have called her a rock star three years ago already Oh, gosh. Um, that's a great question. I tend to think I, I'm struggling to think of a specific song, but I tend to think, um, you know, when Dolly Parton published a note when she found out she was up for induction in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and said that she felt she didn't deserve it. She hadn't earned the title, particularly because there were so many rock and roll artists she thought were deserving who have not been included. So just Pat Benatar is the example she uses quite a bit. Um, and who is on on Rockstar. Um, I was sort of shocked by that because in my mind, Dolly Parton is, of course, a rock star. I, I think that phrase, you know, even how it's used colloquially, it usually just is is in reference to somebody who is this like fabulous, larger than life, incredibly influential um, musician. And I think she has absolutely done that. And in, you know, in many ways and across many different genres, we call her a country music star, but obviously she is well and above beyond that um so i was sort of shocked by that initial note because in my mind of course dolly parton's a rock star the only person who would say she's not is apparently dolly parton <laughs> um and and certainly has this incredible discography to to prove that to validate that also she's covered rock songs live in the, in the past there's certainly a shared um lineage and, and history there um but i do sort of love that Whatever that feeling was within her that she had to sort of earn her place in the rock hell led to this album that feels in some ways kind of rock and roll to me where she's like, OK, well, now I got it. now I'm going to experiment and figure out what being a rock star looks like to me. And that's what the album's going to be called. And uh, this is my rock star era, though. You know, again, I think most of us would agree the bulk of her career <laughs> could be could be deemed rock star worthy. Uh, what do you think she'll do next? I think that this musical that she has forthcoming to Broadway in 2025 is going to certainly take up a lot of her time and attention. But I really hope that, you know, this incredible experience, and she says she, she thinks it's like one of her favorite things she's ever done, 
really unlocks um, her desire to pursue music in other genres because obviously she's such an incredible singer-songwriter. Her songs have been performed by, you know, artists outside of the country music genre. I would love to see her do an R&B album, and I would love to see her do a blues album, which is what she said she was also sort of interested in doing. Um, but whatever she does, I will be listening. Thank you so much, Maria. That was great. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Do something ordinary. That was 1A producer Barb Anguiano discussing Dolly Parton's newest album, Rockstar, with Maria Sherman, music journalist with the Associated Press. Coming up, a closer look at Dolly's craft and how she's become a prolific songwriter. We'll also hear from one of the co-creators of the podcast, Dolly Parton's America, and how the song Jolene breaks all the rules on writing about other women. Stay with us. Jolene. Jolene, 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 please don't take him just because you can. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at betterhelp.com slash NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org elections. If the more than 20 rock star covers weren't enough, there are also nine new original songs. Dolly initially declined an induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2020 because she said she wasn't a rock star. But music professor at Hamilton College and author of Unlikely Angel, the songs of Dolly Parton, Lydia Hammersley says while Dolly may look like a rock star recently right down to those black studded outfits, glimmers of rock and roll have always existed in her previous incarnations. Dolly actually was a rock star from her very first recording she made when she was 13. She wrote a little song when she was 11 with her Uncle Bill Owens, and it's called Puppy Love. And it's a little rockabilly song. Um, You can hear little 13-year-old Dolly singing, Puppy Love, Puppy Love. Puppy Love, Puppy Love. Um, It's a real upbeat, quick little rockabilly number. Um, 
So I think that's interesting, given where we are now, that she starts out singing that. And over the past 50 years, Dolly has won awards and accolades for her songwriting. WNYC's podcast, Dolly Parton's America, explores her songwriting through Jolene, one of Dolly's biggest hits, and it's where she completely recreates what it means to be a woman scorned. What Nadine argues is that Dolly is taking this trope that is typically all about women hating on women. Instead, she snuck in a song that is all about women loving other women. Instead of hating this woman or vilifying her for being able to take her man, she's exalting her for all the reasons that she's able to take her man. Dolly has in this song a really novel, revolutionary approach to the other woman. And joining us now to talk about Dolly's songwriting is Shima Oliagi. She's the co-creator and producer of Dolly Parton's America. Shima, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, we just heard a clip from the podcast where you and host Jad Abumrad discussed the 1973 song Jolene and the idea of Dolly as a progressive songwriter. And later, with the help of Nadine Hubs from the University of Michigan, you break down that song and add a fourth verse. What struck you about Nadine's assessment of the song? Nadine really tapped into kind of the the way that Dolly approaches a song and how she's approached all her songwriting through looking at at this particular song, Jolene, which is that um, part of Dolly's writing process that she told me in an interview was that she'll wake up at 2 a.m. each morning. She'll pray for about an hour to kind of just hone in to the world and to people around the world. And it's her spiritual practice. And then before anyone wakes up, she starts writing. And so one of the things she became a genius at over time is really connecting to the suffering of ordinary women and her own suffering um, in those like in those early morning sessions of prayer and then being able to transmit you know those memories or those experiences mm-hmm. into lyrics and so the way that uh, this particular song Jolene is so revolutionary is that it just changed perspectives um, on who is singing the song and what they are singing about when it comes to the genre of the cheating song, which is a very popular genre in country music. So, um, yeah, so there were already so many songs about men singing about how their woman is with another man. And then as women artists came up in country music, they started singing about their man being taken by another woman. And what Jolene did was instead of hating on the other woman, which was basically what those songs were about at that time, she instead praises the other woman and she appeals to the woman's humanity. You know, please don't take him. Please don't hurt me. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of what's so amazing about a lot of her music, especially her early, her early songs, um, is that she was so forthright about her feelings of powerlessness, which you don't hear in a lot of music. Um, and that was actually at the end of this that episode that you just played, you know, I was able to speak to a man who was in prison next to Nelson Mandela at Robin Island. And he told me that Nelson was able to play songs at a certain point. He was, he was able to request songs because he had been in prison so long that the guards would allow that. Um, and his favorite song was Jolene. 
So I think it was, again, yeah, go ahead. I know, sorry, I was just going to say, it really is a song that changed the way young women listen to the song and experience their own heartbreak or their own relationships that came to an end. As you said, it was different in, in two different genres, and Dolly took it and she turned that on its head. That really changed the 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 path going forward for those kind of songs. Yeah, the the depth of that understanding, right, and and how she was able to change the perspective, um, I think allowed this very specific story about this woman, auburn-haired woman named Jolene, um, coming like coming onto her man or having the opportunity to take her her love away. Um, the spe- the specificity of the pain of that was able to be communicated to many people feeling pain, whether it was, um, you know, social justice pain or mm-hmm. pain about losing a, a loved one. Um, it is the most covered song of all time. Including by her goddaughter, Miley Cyrus. An amazing That's job. Right. Um, Dolly's known for different things to different people, of course. They know her for Whitney Houston's cover of I Will Always Love You or hit songs like Jolene and 9 to 5. But one part of her career that keeps coming up during our research is her bluegrass era. Several songs on her bluegrass albums were rock songs, which I think is really interesting that she she went through a period where she was really focusing on bluegrass, almost like now where she's focusing on rock. She was focusing on bluegrass from 1999 to about 2003. For instance, on her album, The Grass is Blue, she recorded Billy Joel's Travel and Prayer. And um, she really got quite a lot of acclaim for her recordings on her album, Little Sparrow. From 2001, she recorded um, one of my favorites, uh, Shine by Collective Soul. And that actually won her a Grammy for Best Female Country Vocal Performance. Her album, Halos and Horns, in 2003, um, she covered Stairway to Heaven, and um, it's in a bluegrass style. I, I love it, but I'm sure that the hardcore Led Zeppelin fans probably may not love it, um, but it's really a terrific cover. You can go by, but in the long run, there's still some time to change the road to I do love Led Zeppelin, but her cover of that song was amazing. Shima, is there a period of Dolly's music that should get more recognition? Um, yeah, I I actually love every era of Dolly's music. She is able to reinvent herself in ways that I really haven't seen except through maybe a present-day Taylor Swift. Um, she just crosses genres constantly, and, and especially in music at a time when that was no one was doing that. Um, I, I really like her early catalog. I love the sad ass songs. So I like, um, just because I'm a woman, the bargain store where she likens women's value in society to a bargain, to items at a bargain store. Um, there's another song that's the only way out is to walk over me. And then, um, daddy come and get me is about, being thrown uh, is about a woman being thrown into a mental institution by her lover, mm-hmm. and she's asking for her father to legally take her out. He's the only legal person who can do that. Um, she was like a journalist about everyday life um, for decades. She's been a journalist on the front lines of life for decades. But I think the sad-ass songs are really poignant, and they're like mini 
short stories or novels. Like she, the the specificity and the storytelling is really quite profound. And I was surprised by that because I knew her from her most famous hits, like Nine to Five, mm-hmm. um, and and actually her more her more recent songs. Uh, yeah, but that is my favorite era of hers. I think it really connects her to women around the world as well. It it really seems to. And also, that really is at the base of really good songwriting, and she seems to lead the pact on that. Yeah, she's very... I think what's hard about, you know, any kind of artistic endeavor is how to be honest and also how to have the person hearing this brutal honesty about what it is like to be a human how how to get the audience to enjoy listening to that. Like that is the constant struggle of figuring out how do I make this catchy, but also how do I tell the truth that no one has told yet and touch on something that no one else has touched on, like what songs are necessary. And she just is able to do both at once. Like you don't understand, like the pain feels so good and you don't, she's, you don't have to like wallow in it because the music is so beautiful, but you can also hear things that maybe you've never heard before. And you can hear perspectives that maybe no one else has given a voice to, which I think is very profound. A good chunk of the Rockstar album, as we heard from Maria at the start of the show, is covers. And here's one we got from Laura in Oregon. Our band Jam Wagon actually covers Dolly Parton's 9 to 5 song. And uh, here's a little... Uh, version that we do. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the street, the traffic starts jumping and folks like me on the job from nine to five. Working nine to five. What a And there's Dolly singing this song. Shima, Dolly's songs really live in, in a whole wide variety of people. What do you think she's doing to make her songs so instantly recognizable to her fans and to some new people who haven't heard of her? Oh, I don't, um, I don't know. I think she is just a very gifted songwriter. So I think that's part of it. She's just very talented and she's been writing songs since she could talk. So even she would she would make up songs about like a can of corn or like random, you know, toys she had as a child. So I think that that muscle has been strengthened over time. Um, and that is her genius. She knows how to make a song that's very catchy and that it becomes very popular. I think what's also interesting about her that I don't think we give her enough credit for is she is an incredible businesswoman and she understood, you know, how to capture public attention, how to, you know, step into the public imagination, even based on like her persona and Mm -hmm. her beautiful, like over the top look and the story she tells about her life. I think she is able to not just write incredible music, but also she is able to, you know, give you everything else that comes with it, the full package, you know, the rhinestones, the big hair, you know, um, the persona is... Is, is really part of um, the way she's able to ex- 
to basically stay popular over so many decades as well. I think she was also one of the first uh, singer-songwriters um, to really own her own music, to own her um, her performance and be in charge of, of everything and set up a business at a time when women couldn't own a checking account without their husband's approval or a father's approval or couldn't get a credit card. Women were so restricted at the time that she was doing it. It was just amazing. And now later artists like Taylor Swift and Beyonce are fully in charge of their own careers. Dolly really set the stage for that. Yeah. And it was, it was unheard of at the time. And even now as those big artists are, you know, re-recording albums so they can own, they can take back the rights that Dolly never quite had to let up from the start. Mm -hmm. Part of that was the time that she came up. But the second part is her gumption. She really believed in her own talent at a time when most people did not. I think that is hard for us to recognize now, but like they they likened her voice to Minnie Mouse. Um, It was hard for her to get a record deal. And a lot of her training came under... Um, a mentor who was somewhat abusive, Porter Wagner. Um, And for years, she just took a lot of, you know, she got first class training in how to be a music star and all of the ins and outs of the business aspect of the music industry. And I think that that time really fortified her. So that helped her navigate a, a much longer career once she was able to leave a very bad situation that she had while she was working on his show. What do you think Dolly will explore next, Chima? I always thought, she, well, she actually did do this. She wrote um, a novel recently, but she loves books so much that, um, you know, with her imagination library, I, I thought maybe she would go into um, literature and start maybe even writing poems or or more books. Mm. I I think that she's very focused on her philanthropy. And right now she's solidifying her legacy once she passes. You know, that was not something that I did not um, very openly ask her. Like, what is the plan 100 years, 200 years from now? She is very clear about what message she wants to continue to be sending even after her death. She is about unity and love and togetherness. I think she's also about um, social justice, but she has come up through decades of a lot of turmoil. Mm -hmm. And so I think she's really smart about when to share what. Um, But I think for her, it's about really helping the world and being a light um, in dark times. I think that is, I think she's racking her brain on how to, continue that legacy and how to be a symbol of hope after she passes. So anything she does in that realm, I think that includes her book projects and any other pieces of art she wants to put out. I think that's what she focuses on day in and day out, every morning when she wakes up early and prays about her mission. That was Shima Oliayi, co-creator of the podcast Dolly Parton's America. Shima, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Still to come on this edition of the 1A Record Club, how Dolly Parton became a cultural icon outside of songwriting. We'll be back with more of the conversation in just a moment. Stay with us.
This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Get your quote at Progressive.com and see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Now back to our 1A record club on Dolly Parton. Her new album, Rockstar, is out now, and some of you shared why you love Dolly so much. When I think of Dolly Parton, I think of the song, I Will Always Love You. This song, when I first heard it as a child in Dollywood, I was just mesmerized. This song is just so hauntingly beautiful. To this day, it just brings me to tears. She's just truly a beautiful soul, and I just love her. She's an icon. And of course, I named my cat Dolly Parton after her. Thanks for that message. Many celebrities look for ways to give back. But when it comes to Dolly Parton, giving back is synonymous with her brand. In the early 90s, Whitney Houston turned her I Will Always Love You into a smash hit. Forbes reported the royalties from the song totaled a whopping $10 million. So what did Dolly do with the money? Here's what she told Andy Cohen on Watch What Happens Live. I bought a property down in what was the black area of town, and it was mostly just black families and people that lived around there, and it was just off the beaten path, and I thought this is the perfect place for me to be, considering it was Whitney, and uh, so I just thought this was great. I'm just going to be down here with her people, who, who are my people as well, and so I just love the fact that I spent that money on a complex, and I think this is the house that Whitney built. One of Dolly's most recognized endeavors is the Imagination Library. And here to tell us more about that is Jeff Conyers. He's the president of the Dollywood Foundation, which oversees the Imagination Library. He joins us from Dolly's hometown of Seaverville, Tennessee. Jeff, thanks for being here. Hi, Janine. It's great to be with you today. Hi. Also with us is Lynn Melnick. She's a poet and an author of the memoir, I've Had to Think Up a Way to Survive on Trauma, Persistence, and Dolly Parton. And she joins us from Brooklyn. Lynn, welcome to 1A. Thanks for having me. So, Jeff, let's start with you. The Imagination Library is a big part of Dolly's legacy. Tell us how that came together. Sure. Well, Dolly Parton's Imagination Library is really a really personal project for Dolly. Um, many have heard the background story of it, but her father was not able to read and write. And as a little girl, she witnessed that. Uh, she often describes him as one of the wisest men that she's ever known. But at the same time, she also knew that that held him back from perhaps pursuing all the dreams that he might want to in life. So when she grew up and became a, a country music star and 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 had the ability to do so. She'll often hear her say, I believe when you're in a position to help, you should help. And so she uh, created the Imagination Library to gift books from the time they're born once a month. Um, come, they come right in the mailbox to the child at home with their name on the mailing label. 
uh, all age appropriate in there. It's designed to inspire a love of reading, a love of ownership of books, a love of reading in a child from the time they're born up until their fifth birthday. And Dolly also um, has been at Dollywood reading books to a lot of children, too. Absolutely. Like I said, this is a very personal project for her. We've been working on it for uh, well over 20 years. Uh, In 2025, it'll be 30 years of the Imagination Library program. And so um, it's been growing all across the U.S. and and into older countries. And it's it's really important. She's involved on our board, obviously, and involved Mm -hmm. with us regularly on it. When did it start? It started in 1995, right here where I am now in Sevierville, Tennessee, in Dolly's hometown. And originally, she just thought that this would be a, a project that she'd start for children and families where she grew up. Um, and being Dolly Parton and being involved in these kind of things, word got out about it. And uh, we started receiving requests from communities across the country to have Imagination Library programs. So we started replicating the program in other areas in the year 2000. And as I stand here today, it's in all 50 states with uh, 20 statewide programs and 2.6 million children enrolled in receiving a book in the mail every month. Is it free for the children? It's absolutely free for the children. Obviously, not you know, it's not free. Uh, we have local community partners that we work with in each of the communities, the 3,000 plus communities across the U.S. that we work with to offer the Imagination Library. And together, you know, the the foundation, the Dollywood Foundation, heavily subsidizes the program. And, uh, and our local program partners help us raise the local cost of the, of the book and mailing, the wholesale cost of the book and mailing. And we're getting some emails in. A lot of our listeners absolutely love Dolly. One says, I love Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. I love her support for teachers' aides and for kindergarten classes. And I love that she does so much good. There's another one that says, I love Dolly Parton because of the fact that she's unapologetically Dolly Parton. She's one of the few people in the world that I believe everyone loves. Lynn, speaking of books, you wrote an entire book on how Dolly Parton helped you through some of your more difficult moments in life. What is it about Dolly that you found relatable? I think when I first heard her voice, I was 14 years old, and it uh, sort of cut through all the noise in my life. It was so clear, it was so rich, it was so warm and almost forgiving um, that I knew I needed to hear it again, and I sought her out. And beyond her voice, once I got to know her music, it was really her message of kindness, of forgiveness, of allowing people to be who they are, and also of working at survival. Like, it's not just something that happens. You have to keep working uh, to achieve what you want to achieve. And all of that just spoke to me then and speaks to me now. Did your research change anything in your image of Dolly in any way? Oh, that's a good question. I um, I think it more so solidified my hunch, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I knew I felt these things, you know, uh, for myself and in my own life. But the more I researched, I saw that that was really, you know, her mode, her entire career, um, her way of being in the world. And so it just confirmed, I think, what I already felt. And Jeff, at Dollywood, I know that Dolly's love of books and because her father wasn't able to read, um, do you have any sense of how many children are impacted because of the books, because of Dolly's commitment to reading? Absolutely. Well, we just this year, we gifted our 200 millionth Imagination Library book. And mm-hmm. 
Uh, we have, again, 2.6 million children enrolled in the U.S. and receiving a book in the mail each and every month. So it's well into the millions. We have uh, right now, as, as we talk today, we have one out of every eight children under the age of five in the United States enrolled and receiving a book in the Imagination Library. So it's a huge scale, huge impact on um, on children and families, you know, and their love of books and reading and hopefully uh, preparing them to, to go on and enjoy this for the rest of their life. Jeff, a lot of famous people give money away and philanthropic efforts are part of their legacy. What's special about Dolly? I think the the authenticity behind Dolly's philanthropy is what's special about her. I mean, you know, we just told the story about how personally connected the Imagination Library is to her own story of growing up poor here in the Smoky Mountains and not having anything. And and she's really that quintessential rags to riches Mm -hmm. story. Um, I think she gives people hope and she's, as, as other guests have already shared, she just spreads love and, and kindness and acceptance in a way that's so authentic. I think it resonates with people and that certainly, that certainly shines through brightly in her philanthropy. Well, she created Dollywood specifically to help people in her community have jobs and also introduce the rest of the world to the place she really loves, the place she grew up in. She loves that area. So she was really trying to forward her, her love and her message. It's a constant thing with Dolly. She is always giving back, uh, not only to her community, but really to people around the world in, in various ways. There's lots of giving that Dolly does that people will never see or know about. But Dollywood is a great example of her coming to town and creating uh, the largest employer in Sevier County, one of the largest employers in Tennessee. It's a huge economic driver for our area. Um, and it just it creates such a difference in people's lives, and um, and she's and it means a lot to her, and she works on it every day. And we have another email. This one is from Mike. As a Tennessee resident and filmmaker, working with Dolly Parton is a rite of passage. It's always something to look forward to. I spent a month with her last year making her Christmas movie at Dollywood. She's always on time and happy to be there. She's the real deal and always genuine. Let's hear from professor at Hamilton College and author of Unlikely Angel, the songs of Dolly Parton, Lydia Hammersley. Here she is explaining what she sees as the core of Dolly Parton's persona and why people are drawn to her. So I think that when you get down to the core of her identity of, as she says, I just love people and respect everyone and then write music that is something that uplifts them. That's really, I think, the core of Dolly, much more than this kind of over-the-top, hypersexualized image and all of that. And um, I think that's also why people are drawn to her. You know, there's those T-shirts and little things that would say, you know, WWDD, what would Dolly do, right? That she can be a kind of model for how people might be in the world. Lynn, what do you see at the core of Dolly Parton and her personality? Um, I think... um I think I see a a regular human being who is striving to do good when at all possible. I think there's always this um, uh, risk people run when they make her a saint. There's a lot of saint dollies, but she's not that. She's not superhuman. She's very human. And within that, she is trying to be her best self, make the best art she can make, um, and give back. And, you know, she's fallible like we all are. And so 
to, to know that about her and see her keep trying to do good and be a force of light in the world is, is what's inspiring about her. And it seems like in her doing that and seeming to live her authentic self, she's inspiring other people to replicate that, to imitate her in a good way. Do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I've obviously talked to a lot of people about Dolly and everybody knows about certainly the Imagination Library, but her other philanthropy, you know, which as Jeff said, is sometimes really under the radar um, and she just does it from her heart and doesn't make a big deal out of it. But I think um, the stuff we do know about um, really um, influences others uh, to do good and be good in their own lives, which I think is what Dolly wants. And another listener just um, emailed and said, what I love about Dolly, she knows who she is. I have a question for both of you, um, Jeff and Lynn. What do you think Dolly will take on next? Jeff, can we start with you? Sure. Well, she is at her heart and soul a songwriter. Uh, She would tell you that if she were on today. She wakes up every day and writes music, and I don't think she will ever quit writing music. Even if, uh, even if she, if she weren't able to sing anymore, you know, she'll, she'll still be writing great songs. Um, and she has a lot of uh, business aspirations as well. I mean, we just opened the second resort hotel here at Dollywood called Heart Song. Um, and there's more of those planned. And so she's going to continue to create as she always has. She's a, she's a creator of, of music and business and, philanthropy, and she continues to want to give. One of the most inspiring things to me about Dolly after working with her for 12 years is she wakes up every day grateful and inspired to be in the position that she's in, and she feels a sense of duty to give back and give uh, give her gifts and give what she can to the world. And I think what also our listener had emailed in, the filmmaker from Tennessee, saying that she is the consummate professional. She shows up, she's ready to work, and then she works hard. That, that says a lot about an artist today. It does indeed. And, uh, you know, every time we do an event with people and Dolly, I always tell them to be ready early. She shows up early 95% of the time, and she's going to show up ready to go and ready to get to work, prepared for the day. And it's, uh, again, it's an inspiration to watch uh, as a professional to see someone in her position um, and to see other people who don't approach in that way in her position, but to see her show up grateful, prepared, and ready to go. It's, it's just a wonderful thing to see. And Lynn, what do you think she'll take on next? Well, like Jeff, I hope it's uh, songwriting. I expect it will be. I think that for her is the primary thing. It's what she does. It's like breathing, you know. It's um, just part of her um, spirit. And I'm hoping for more albums uh, <laughs> down the line uh, in whatever genre works for her. I find it... Uh, really inspiring to see a woman in her late 70s still out there like working on new material, pushing herself artistically. It's just, it, for me, it's, um, it's just a wonder to watch. So I hope that uh, there are a lot more songs as, as well as all the philanthropic endeavors. That was Lynn Melnick. She's a poet and author of the memoir, I've Had to Think of a Way to Survive on Trauma, Persistence, and Dolly Parton. And Jeff Conyers, president of the Dollywood Foundation. Lynn, Jeff, thanks for your time. And special thanks to Lydia Hammersley. She's a music professor at Hamilton College and author of Unlikely Angel, the songs of Dolly Parton. Today's producer was Parb Anguiano with help from Jorge Lina Manarea. 
This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Janine Herbst in for Jen White. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.